It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I used to say, uh, beginning about 17 years ago when I first encountered this person, that there was no attorney I'd ever heard or met that was like Jeffrey Lickman. The way that he cross-examined witnesses, the way that he told stories to the jury as part of a summation, even the way he kind of made a dismissive facial expression when he hands a defense exhibit to a witness. I'd never seen anything like it. A couple years after that, I would say that there is no one in the history of radio like Jeffrey Lickman. It's not just that he was outspoken. There's certainly a lot of people that were. Uh, It's not just that he was funny. There's a lot of people that are it's not that just that he blended intellect passion and a complete lack of caring about the consequences of his words it's the fact that he really is just kind of the whole package uh intellect passion humor and a complete lack of interest in what anybody else has to say about what he has to say these days i can absolutely tell you there's no lawyer like jeffrey lickman and there is absolutely no podcast like beyond the legal limit with jeffrey lickman not only is it uh, chock full of legal analysis you feel like you're doing you're at least getting your intellectual hunger satiated by some of the things that he's doing But there's also some very rough stuff on there as well. So you actually kind of feel like you're getting the pro wrestling aspect of your personality, that itch scratched as well. And I don't know of a lot of other podcasts that can blend high level intellectualism with sort of lowbrow cursing at the bad guys. And I am thrilled whenever I get the opportunity to talk with Jeffrey Lickman uh, because he's a terrific guest, knows about everything. And I don't have to spend a lot of time talking about questions because or thinking about questions because he spends a great deal of time giving comprehensive answers. Very pleased to welcome back to the program renowned criminal defense attorney and the host of Beyond the Legal Limit, Jeffrey Lickman. Hey, Jeff. Frank, that is, you even outdid the last introduction that you gave me, so I'm flabbergasted and I want to know where to send the check. (laughs) Uh, Jeff, uh, put it on uh, a a credit for any future legal retainer I may need. Okay. Uh, A lot that I want to talk to you about regarding the Middle East, but uh, for starters, let me get your take on the presidential race. Uh, For people that haven't heard our previous conversations, you have been kind of critical of Donald Trump, both uh, stylistically and substantively. Early on, you thought that if the Republicans would nominate DeSantis, that would be an easy victory. And then the last time we spoke, you seemed to realize that DeSantis had no shot these days of getting the Republican nomination. And you seemed resigned to the fact that Trump was going to be the nominee and then spell disaster for the Republicans in the general election. Now, uh, there's poll after poll, uh, just about every poll, actually, that shows Trump not only beating Biden in a lot of the key states, but on a 
lot of key demographics that you wouldn't necessarily think of as Trump's strength. The people that are Trump detractors, though, point to the election results in 2022, 2023, 2021 as examples where Republicans underperformed. How do you view the presidential race now, both from an analytical perspective and with whatever rooting interest you might have? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't think, you know, now that we've seen Biden for more time, obviously the concern of having another Biden uh, presidency is it's not just nauseating, but terrifying. Uh, it should be for America, especially what's happened over the last uh, few months since October 7th in Israel. We saw what's happened all over the country. I mean, that's largely the product of democratic um, policy. The fact, you know, that we have uh, Hamas Uh, rioting all over America in, you know, a few miles from ground zero. So that should be a concern for all of us. Um, I just don't think that Trump is going to win. And I I know that you're saying, well, look at the polls. Well, isn't that what Trump always said when the polls were against him? Don't believe the polls. Don't believe the polls. I don't think the polls matter. I don't see any chance of him winning next year. I still think that it's a zero um, because, first of all, he didn't do anything during his four years to arrest any of the issues with uh, the write-in ballots, uh, with the ballot box. Mail-in, mail-in The mail-ins, he just didn't do it. So I don't think, I think at the end of the day, they'll do, the Democrats will do what they need to do um, to uh, get the win. Um, It doesn't take a lot of votes to turn a few key states uh, one way or another. In addition, you know, Trump, if it's possible, has become even more toxic uh, since he lost um, in 20. And uh, I think that when people see him on trial after trial, I don't think it helps him. I think maybe it helps with his base. And I'm not, look, I'm not giving you this uh, from a position of like a Trump hater, or I'm just talking to right, you. Right, you voted I didn't vote for him. Oh, you didn't, didn't vote okay. for. I haven't. I didn't vote the last two elections. I didn't vote. I, I could never vote for Trump because I have so little respect for him. But I would never vote for the Democrat. I'll never vote for a Democrat for the rest of my life. But I. But at the same time, you know, Trump did a lot of good things, and I'm not going to say that he didn't. I just think that what I, what angered me about him is that I felt that he could have done so much more if he was more focused, if he was harder working, if he cared more about the issues. He just didn't get enough done, and I felt that those four years were so crucial that more needed to be done. And I also felt that he wouldn't take the presidency seriously enough that he'd get beaten um, in the reelection attempt, and that's exactly what happened. I just he just never seemed to take it seriously enough. You can't be fighting on Twitter and also being the leader of the free world. You just can't spend your days on Twitter when you were, you know, in the country, the leader. And and there's too many, you know, scary, important things that need to be addressed. So I feel that now he's going to lose again. I don't think it'll be to Biden. I I do believe that uh, Gavin Newsom will be uh, the nominee for the Democrats. And I think he's going to mop the floor with Trump because he's going to get Trump is going to get his base. He's going to get the MAGA base. And and the the more that Trump gets abused by the judicial system, the more mm-hmm. the base loves him. That's great. So, so what's that, 40 percent of the general election electorate? No, I don't I don't think it's 40 percent. I think it's less. I don't think he's going to get hardly any independents. I don't think he's going to get many moderate Republicans. Um, but I think a lot of people will just stay home. So I don't feel that he has any chance of winning. Now, DeSantis, I think, is ruined. Um, I don't think there's any chance that he can win. And it's largely his own fault and largely Trump's fault as well for just attacking him for no good reason. Even his uh, 
his the head of his um, I guess uh, his head spokesman uh, said I think yesterday we're going to destroy DeSantis for 28. We don't even want him to run in 28. This is the mentality, the selfish, toxic, destructive personality of Trump and the people around them. I mean, how dare they say that they want to destroy DeSantis for 28? Well, so what are we just going to do? Just keep running Trump until he dies and lose every election? I mean, are you happy with the number? We're going to have 10 million illegals that are going to have come in during the four years of Joe Biden. There's going to be more than 10 million the next time. They're cutting services in New York City because they can't afford to pay uh, for the migrants and also for the people that actually pay taxes here. At what point do you realize, you know, maybe it's best for me to step aside because I've got all these trials, everybody hates me, and it's not really doing the country good. But that would require somebody like Trump to put the country before himself. And I just don't think he's capable of it. And I know that you're, you know, you've got, you know, a massive amount of MAGA uh, listeners and, you know, I get it. But, you know, try to check your IQ at the door and actually, you know, recognize the fact that if we get four more years of Biden or Gavin Newsom, I mean, my God, can the country really afford this? We need to win this election. And I just think, as you said at the beginning, Trump lost in uh, 18. He lost in 20. He lost in 22. Uh, He's losing. He he just doesn't win. People don't want it anymore. And I just don't think that after listening to the evidence in D.C. early next year at that trial, it's going to turn off even more independence. And look, I'd rather he win than not win because I care about the country, even though I, I don't really have all that much respect for him. But I care about the country first. And Perhaps more people should. Last question about the presidential race, uh, race, Jeff. Uh, A lot of people that are unhappy with Trump, both voters, uh, media commentators, and the donor class, they seem to be gravitating towards Nikki Haley as a Trump alternative. She's still a ways behind in the polls. I I don't necessarily put a lot of stock into the polls, but does Nikki Haley appeal to you at all? Is she somebody that you could see yourself supporting? No, she's a clown. Um, I mean, she's, I, I, you know, she's as much of a clown as Vivek, you know, probably not. Um, but she's a clown. I mean, I didn't like the way she stabbed Trump in the back at one point. Um, even though I don't respect Trump, it doesn't mean that I don't respect his significance uh, when he's in office, you know, in, his, in the party as well. Um, I think that she's an opportunist. She said some really stupid things lately. Uh, where she said that people should have to put their real names when they're commenting online. I mean, like, what is this? What is she, like Chinese or something? I mean, who who thinks like this? <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, that, clearly, no. her copy of the Constitution doesn't include the Bill of Rights. Uh, that's uh, no. that, it's missing there. She starts at 11. <laughs> Um, Okay, I want to ask you about the Middle East. Obviously, I know you've been, uh, as long as I've known you, probably much longer, a very outspoken defender of Israel and even more so a very outspoken critic of radical Islam, both in the United States and abroad. There was a poll I saw recently that showed something like 76 percent of American Jews supported the job that uh, Joe Biden was doing when it comes to this Israel war. Understanding how you feel about Joe Biden and his presidency overall, how do you grade him on his handling of the Israel situation? Well, it depends. There's two different grades. One is the grade is what do I expect considering that he is the head of that demonic party? that hates Israel. So when I, when I do that and I give him a grade for that, I'd give him a B, a solid B. 
because he has gone further than a lot of the party has asked for, and he has rebuffed the crazy lunatics on the far left. So I give him some credit. At the same time, you know, he's talking about, oh, there's too many uh, civilians getting killed in Gaza. What I would say to him is, Joe, when 600,000 Syrian civilians were killed, did you open up your mouth once when they were gassing civilians, when they killed 23,000 Palestinians who were in refugee camps in Syria? Did you open your pie hole once? But the reason he's doing it now is not because he gives a, 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 a good goddamn about the Palestinians. I mean, who could? Um, but he's doing it because he's trying to calm down the savages in his party. And for me, I find that atrocious. So if you want to now look at the entire grade, if you look at it objectively, uh, I would give him probably uh, a C. Um, he has let Israel go after them. But I mean, my God, Frank, if you can't unleash Israel now after what the, the Palestinian government did on October 7th. And that's what the, the Hamas is. Let's be honest. They're not only the elected government of, of Gaza, um, but if, if the Palestinians weren't such complete lunatics and actually had uh, elections more than once every generation, Hamas would sweep in the West Bank as well. They're wildly popular. They are the leaders of Palestine. They are the government of Palestine. And it was the Palestinians who did October 7th. It wasn't Hamas. And if you look at the videos, you saw plenty of civilians running across the border. You saw, saw plenty of civilians spitting on the bodies of Israeli women that were being dragged back into Gaza. You saw a lot of children, too, Frank. You saw a lot of children doing it as well. This is a, a diseased enclave. And to suggest that, oh, the poor Palestinians, listen, I certainly feel sorry for some of them, but I also saw a poll recently that said that 95% of them were proud of Hamas for what they did on October 7th. 95% of them in a poll hate Jews. It's got nothing to do with Zionism. This is what they are. There's not many places in the free world, Frank, that have stores named after Hitler. There are in Palestine. Uh, I mean, this is what they are. So, you know, to say that it's the poor civilians, of course I feel bad for them, but they're human shields. Uh, Hamas uses them. They shot them when they try, when the handful of them actually tried to get away and not be human shields. But at the same time, many of them said, we're not leaving. We're staying here because we support Hamas. I'm not, I'm not really feeling much empathy for those that are getting blown up. How do you feel about negotiating through Qatar over the release of these hostages? Uh, we keep hearing that a ceasefire in exchange for the release of as many as 50 hostages is uh, is happening or is imminent. Is that the right move? Is that the right way to pursue if you're or proceed if you're Israel and the United States? Well, I'm not a Netanyahu fan, as you know, and I haven't for many years been a fan of his. Um, I feel like he let this grow, let this, this tumor grow on the border in the south and the Hezbollah tumor on the north. He let it grow, and now look what happened. I, 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 so I understand the pressure that he's under from the families. You can understand how mortified they are that their families, their babies, are being held. Babies, a newborn baby is being held hostage, was born as a hostage by Hamas. You know, these are the people that when you look at the videos that they took on October 7th, they were thrilled. Look, they called up, one of them called up the parents, mom and dad, I killed 10 Jews by myself. They're taking selfies, they're raping women, they're videotaping and all. You should see some of the videos. There's women begging for their lives, getting shot in the head. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit scary 
for Netanyahu to know that he's got uh, citizens that are being held hostage mm-hmm. there, and he feels he has some pressure to do things. At the same time, you can't really negotiate with these animals. Qatar is a Muslim terror state. They only exist uh, as a terror state. Um, they uh, run Al Jazeera, which, as you know, is the, the mouthpiece uh, for Hamas and for Osama bin Laden. They kept all of the Hamas leaders protected for years, for 10 years at least. They have, they're have they the ones partially, in my mind, responsible for all this. They should have kicked out uh, the leaders of Hamas. Instead, they put them up in seven-star hotels. They're kept there, and they're kept in Turkey. These are Muslim terror states. When you are giving comfort to, to literally today's Hitler, that makes you a terror state. So the idea that somehow Qatar should be the magnanimous uh, intermediary is a joke. They're the ones responsible for this. They should have turned over those savages on October 7th. Instead, no, and nobody in America how is it that the government, that Joe Biden didn't say to Qatar, you got 24 hours to turn these people over or else we're going to level you? He didn't do it. He views them as like some kind of fantastic ally. They're not an ally. They're a bunch of backstabbing scumbags. And that's what they are. So it's disappointing for me that there would ever be a ceasefire because, Frank, why does Hamas want a ceasefire? They want a ceasefire so they can regroup, so they can kill again. They've told us that. This, there's, no, there's no question. I, I give credit to Hamas for one thing. They haven't deviated from their sole purpose, which is to kill Jews and Israelis worldwide. They said, we're going to keep doing October 7th until there's no more Israel left. So you're going to have a ceasefire with these people? Why would you cease? Why would you give them a ceasefire just so they can kill you again? No, you stop when they're all dead. They could have surrendered. On October 7th, they didn't. They could have turned over the hostages. They didn't. This is not Israel's problem about the, the crying, about the, uh, the, the, the people being killed in Gaza. Hamas could have stopped this in a day. I'm still waiting for a single world leader to say, give back the hostages and surrender. They won't do it. So, you know, to me, you can't negotiate with Qatar. You can't really give a, a, a ceasefire to them. Every day we're finding more of the 239 hostages. They're turning up, you know, fragments of their brains are being found, their skulls. Uh, another one from Tanzania was found today, <clears throat> was killed. They're being found at least one a day lately. So I don't think you can do anything. But when look, Frank, when you get brain cancer, what do you do? Do you say, I'm not going to treat it? Or do you get rid of the cancer? Hamas is a cancer. It needs to be gotten rid of. Because there's no way there's ever going to be a two-state solution when one of the states is run by Hamas. Because what does a state involve, Frank? It means you're going to give them access to the air and to the sea and treat them like a real country. Well, what happens when you give Hamas an airport? The next day, there's going to be nuclear weapons or whatever else they can sneak in. I mean, they're complete animals. They don't care about their own people. They said, we don't care if our people die. The more civilians in Gaza that die, that's their strategy. They have no other military strategy. They want the people to die so that the useful idiots throughout the world can say, oh, stop Israel, stop hurting these poor innocent people. How else does Hamas survive except for its own the own uh, Palestinian people getting killed. If people, so, no. if, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Jeffrey Lichtman. Uh, you should check out his podcast, Beyond the Legal Limit. You can go to beyondthelegallimit.com. If uh, you ever kill someone, he's definitely the lawyer that you should have first and foremost on your speed you. dial. You can go to jeffreylichtman.com. Uh, costs a lot less to listen to the podcast, though, that's for sure. Uh, you mentioned Benjamin Netanyahu. He was on Fox News with uh, Mark Levin 
Sullivan over the weekend, and he said uh, Israel is fighting America's war. He essentially said that uh, if Israel doesn't uh, take out Hamas in Gaza, the, the quote was, America will be next. Uh, irrespective of how you might feel about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, a lot of people hear that and want a little explanation about if that's accurate or not. Do you believe that's accurate? And do you think that if they don't root out Hamas, that Hamas would attack the United States? Well, I don't think Hamas is going to get on a boat and travel to the United States um, and start killing. But I think as we've seen over the last you know, two months or month and a half, I guess, uh, since October 7th occurred, you've got Hamas supporters all over this country screaming for the extermination of Jews. They're by Grand Central, and they're pulling down the American flag. What happens when these savages get activated? And it's not just, you know, causing damage in New York City, but they decide to blow themselves up or start stabbing people. You don't think that's possible? I mean, they're here. We let them in. Uh, They're obviously being organized from either the outside or within. You can't have, you know, a couple hundred thousand of these savages with perfectly made signs. All of a sudden, they show up in a city and they're going bonkers for a day. That's because somebody's paying for this, whether it's uh, foreign or domestic. They are here, and they are ready to be activated. So do I think that um, by just sticking your head in the ground and ignoring what's going on in Israel and doing the bidding for Iran and Hamas and Hezbollah uh, and Boko Haram and the Taliban and al-Qaeda by saying ceasefire so we can let our precious killers uh, regroup, Um, You know, I I, I feel like that's kind of not realistic. They're here and they are ready to kill us. So you've got to kill them there. I also think what's not talked about, and it's really astonishing to me, is where's the pressure on Iran? I mean, Iran is the one that is that started this with Hamas, their proxy. They're the ones that have Hezbollah in the north launching rockets every day. They're the ones that have the Houthis in Yemen that when they were done bombing Saudi Arabia, now they're focusing on Israel. They've got uh, the terrorists in Syria that are also causing mayhem. This is all Iran. If Iran was taken out, and Frank, if you remember in 2007, I was on WABC and on a show and I said, you've got to bomb Iran. And I've been saying it since 1979 when they took our hostages. If it had been done then and the mullahs were gone then, none of this would be happening. We wouldn't have, what is it, 75 attacks against American troops in the Middle East, all from Iranian proxies. Why are we letting this happen? Why are we letting this happen? There should be, just as there was for ISIS, there was a a coalition of the willing of Western nations to say, we're not going to take this anymore. We're going to get rid of this Islamic cancer, wherever it was, and they got rid of ISIS. ISIS is largely uh, gone now. Why isn't the same thing happening with Iran? It's not like they have nukes. They don't have any kind of conventional navy. I mean, they could really be taken out quickly if there was an effort. You get rid of Iran, Frank, and what is left? You've got Hezbollah and Hamas without their main patron. You've got the Houthis. They will all die on the vine, and they can all be taken out. For some reason, when it comes to Israel being attacked, there's not exactly the concern. When there was, you know, 500,000 Ethiopians have been killed, mostly civilians, in just the last three years, Frank. Have you heard a peep about it? Did you even know that it happened? Uh, that's fair. Not. That's been v- very little media coverage on that. Um Considering how reliant that Israel is on the U.S. for supporting its security, for funding things like the Iron Dome and uh, giving direct aid and military aid, 
should Israel be concerned that younger generations of Americans seem to hold such a negative view of it? I mean, where are things going to be in 20, 25 years? Do you see those young people having their views evolve? Or in 25 years, are the people that are in these protests that you're describing on college campuses and elsewhere, is that going to be who's running the country? Well, a lot of the young people that are running around the campuses calling for gassing of Jews are Arabs that were brought into America. Um, they got um, the, uh, the the universities got the Arab money. You saw Cornell, which is in you know the middle of upstate New York. Suddenly, it's a savage Jew-hating uh, pro-Hamas enclave. Why? Because I think they got the most money than any university in the country. Who's number two? Georgetown. What's on at Georgetown? Well, you've got rabid Muslim terror-supporting professors. You had Jonathan A.C. Brown, who was told, you can't save from the river to the sea that Palestine will be free because you're calling for the extermination of Israel because of the location of the sea uh, and the river. It's obviously they're talking about Israel. He doesn't care. He was told by uh, the university not to do it. He puts it up on his Twitter, thinks it's funny. I mean, this is what you have going on. You have these marches at GW. They're all getting the Muslim terror money. They're getting it from Arab countries. They're sending over their students, and they're infecting the student bodies with their disease. It's happened to Colombia for a long time. You've got Rashid Khalidi, who worked for Yasser Arafat. He's a Muslim terror supporter. You've got Joseph Mossad. He was celebrating after October 7th. How is it that so many professors in America think that it's okay to celebrate a massacre like that on October 7th, where they were raping children. <clears throat> they were breaking the pelvic bones of, of old women as they were raping them before they shot him in the head. I mean, this is what happened. And you have so many professors in America that are celebrating this. We let this disease in, and we left the universities to the leftists. Leftists and radical Islam are hand in glove. And look what they've done to our universities. And this is one of my pet peeves with Trump, is he said... He was going to do something about it when he got into office. He didn't do a damn thing. Look, I understand. Guy makes promises. He runs for president. Hardly anyone, uh, you know, fulfills half the promises they make. But that was a big one. And I always felt that if Trump was a little more of an ideologue and less of just a populist who just will say, regurgitate whatever needs to be said to get elected, I feel like he would have taken that more seriously. And I don't want to come down too hard on Trump when it comes to Israel, because the guy, he, he's one thing he said, and he's right. If he was president right now, no way did this happen. No chance. Uh, Jeffrey, let me ask you about what happens after this war, whether this goes on for a month, two months, three months, a year. And assuming Hamas is is vanquished and there's going to be, you know, a lot of uh, destruction in Gaza, a lot of people that are refugees. Before this, it didn't seem inconceivable that one day there would be a two-state solution. Even Netanyahu at some point had seemed to be... Uh, open to that. Uh, Biden, uh, George Bush, a lot of folks have said that that's what they'd like to see. Given this uh, Hamas attack on October 7th, I really see very little likelihood that that can ever happen. So what happens after this war ends? What does Israel do with Gaza or what becomes of Gaza? What would you like to see? Well, you know, I don't think I'm allowed to say on a family show like this what I'd like uh, to see happen in Gaza. But there, by the time it was done, there would be a Gazan Adam and a Gazan Eve, and they'd be starting all over again. That's where I uh, fall on this. There can't be a two-state solution, mainly because 
Hamas is one of the states, and for the reasons I explained earlier, you can't give them mm-hmm. any kind of freedom. They're savages. But the good Palestinian terrorists are the Palestinian Authority. And just this week, and their president, by the way, is a Holocaust denier. <clears throat> and this week he said that Israel, the IDF, actually killed all the people on October 7th, and it wasn't Hamas. <clears throat> Those are the good terrorists. So you can't trust these people. Right. So what would you like to see? Honestly, where, where, where would you like to see things go after this ends? I think there has to be some force in place in Gaza. You can't, you can't give it to the UN. The UN is so you know, wildly anti-Israel and pro-Hamas. <clears throat> They've lied for Hamas, so they can't be in charge. They're also in charge in Lebanon, and they've really done such wonders to disarm Hezbollah. And that's their mandate is to disarm Hezbollah. And they've only got, I think, 150,000 rockets pointing at Israel. I don't know what can be done. I think what needs to be done is there has to be a major effort, and it's going to have to come from a lot of Jew-hating countries in Europe, and say to the Palestinians, we're done giving you a penny of aid. You can starve and die if you continue to teach your children jihad and to kill Jews and to hate Jews. You can't. It has to start with the children. It has to start with the children. And that's the, the first thing. They have to change the mindset. Uh, lastly, Jeff, um, the Elon Musk situation has uh, been full. It has ramped up significantly this week. You have Media Matters for America and the Anti-Defamation League both putting pressure on a lot of corporate advertisers to pull their advertising from X after Elon Musk seemed to endorse a sort of an anti-Semitic tweet. Uh, yesterday or the previous day, he seemed to backtrack on that, and the ADL praised his reaction for doing things like ban the term decolonization from Twitter or X. Uh, they also, uh, he's also prohibiting people from putting uh, from the river to the sea out there on Twitter. IBM, Apple, a lot of other big corporations, not to mention the Biden re-election campaign, they've all announced they're not going to be advertising on Twitter. Two-part question here, Jeff. One, do you think the things that Musk has been tweeting are anti-Semitic? And two, do you think that kind of the the pressure from groups like the ADL and Media Matters for America on these corporations essentially amounts to a new form of corporate censorship? Well, you know, first with Musk, he seems to change his mind every day. He certainly did. um, I think he acknowledged there was a wildly anti-Semitic uh, tweet that was made, and, and he said, yeah, that's right. He agreed with it. So he has shown a significant amount of anti-Semitism. I don't, whether that means he's anti-Semitic, I don't know. He may just be ignorant on these issues. I simply don't know. <clears throat> I know he does say the right thing at times, and he changes, as I've said, he waffles seemingly every day. With regard to the censorship, I mean, look, I hate the ADL. Um, they're, uh, in, me, in my mind, they're a far-left organization. They certainly supported Obama. Obama is largely responsible <clears throat> for the disease that we have in America with the radical Islam. So when I hear people like the ADL telling someone to shut up, it makes my skin crawl. And when I see that the uh, Biden re-election committee is not going to advertise on Twitter, what does that tell me? You know, when my enemies are doing something, I want to do the opposite. <laughs> so I don't... I don't love the idea of any kind of censorship, but at the same time, if you go on Twitter, I mean, they're calling for, you know, murdering Jews. They're lying about what happened on October 7th. They're denying the Holocaust. I mean, at what point do we recognize that this kind of stuff is impacting our children? And that's why um, you've got a walkout, and I think it was a Portland school, I think maybe on Wednesday, a walkout 
in a school for Hamas. Okay, this is what we are teaching our children because they get all their information on TikTok and on Twitter, and they're learning that October 7th was an inside job, that America is bad, Israel's bad, the Holocaust didn't happen. That's where they're getting all their information from. So while I'm against censorship, I recognize that I want America to exist in 50 Mm -hmm. years um, as a democratic place where it's safe for for us to live. It's not going to be safe if we allow children to have their brains washed by radical Islam in China. It's just not. You got to do something. I know that I'm all for free speech, but at the same time, there's limitations. Jeff, uh, there's supposedly a Babe Ruth card over 100 years old with him as a Baltimore Oriole that's expected to sell for more than $10 million. You've got one of the most impressive baseball card collections in America. Any chance you'll be uh, throwing in your your $10 million for your chance to get that Babe Ruth card? Well, it's actually my brother's card uh, oh, that's selling it, so no. You're I won't kidding. Be, uh, wow. I won't be bidding on it. Um, it's your brother's it, card that's, that's selling that? It is. Wow. I yeah. See, I learned something. That's extraordinary. Yeah, I knew you'd have some insight into that. Well, uh, congratulations to him. That's pretty exciting. All right, Jeffrey, it is always a treat talking with you. I'm sorry that so often it involves uh, tragic and destructive circumstances. <laughs> Hopefully we can uh, get together socially sometime. Love it, Frank. Thanks right. so much for having me. Jeffrey Lickman, check him out, Beyond the Legal Limit. If you want to comment on uh, any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.